0: Bibles to 1 Corinthians, we're going to be looking now, we're primarily looking at 12 through 14, 12 through 14, but you're going to be going through different parts of the book of 1 Corinthians. So you'll start, I think, in chapter 10, um, so we'll, we'll just roll through 1 Corinthians. We're focusing on 12 through 14, but in order to adequately focus on those three chapters, we've got to look at some others. So this is all that's going to be on. Well, one more thing is going to to be on the screen in a minute. And um, at that point, you're just going to have to do your Bibles. So it'll be simple. We're trying to do Corinthians so that we're going from left to right, so to speak, through the book. So you won't be flipping back and forth. You don't have any other books to go through. Just hang right there in 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, Look around. Somebody's got a device of some sort, um, and some may even have paper. So uh, share the Bible beside you. It'll be good if you're staring at the text. What's my ministry this morning? 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Let's begin by answering today's title with a fictitious, a fake, it happened exclusively in my head yesterday, a fictitious ministry survey. Are you ready? It's one question. And there's four, in my experience, typical answers. So one question, four typical answers, and these may hit close to home, so I will try to do this. I'm not thinking of anyone. There's no data that I have. These are just, I've been a pastor for over 25 years. This is kind of normal stuff. Here we go. Would you be interested in serving on Sunday? I've asked a lot of people that over the years. Would you be interested in serving on Sunday? Answer number one. I've uh, been serving for quite a while now, and um, honestly, I'm a bit burned out. Um, can't somebody else do it? Would you be interested in serving on Sunday? Answer two. I'm, I'm happy to serve, but I'm, I'm not a musician. I'm certainly not a singer. I'm not a pastor. The kids thing, um, not my gig. Greeting new people, no way, that freaks me out. Serving communion, nope, way too scary. I might drop a tray on someone. Walking around and taking up money, eh, okay, I can do that. But walking up to the mic in the front, whispering whatever those people whisper to the pastor, and then maybe having to say something in the mic, or worse yet, just walking back to my seat. You've got to be kidding. Would you like to serve on Sunday? I'm just not sure I have enough time or talent to serve right now. Let me get my act together more, and I promise I'll get back to you. Like maybe next year? Or when the kids are out of college. Okay, would you like to serve on a Sunday? Here's the one that most people have, and I get it. Would you like to serve on a Sunday? Are you serious? i do good just to get here. Now, perhaps you can relate to some of these answers, but you still have some sort of nagging desire to do something, don't you? Besides just be a spectator but you don't know what to do with that desire. Or perhaps some here think being a spectator is exactly what God has for most people. I mean, that's how it's supposed to be on Sunday morning. After all, that's how it is in nearly every church in this country, especially those large, successful churches. I mean, that's what we pay you guys to do, right? So if either of those describe you, then consider today a quick start guide. We can't get into much. It's an overview. It's a quick start guide to what is reasonable and biblical Sunday morning participation. What is reasonable and what is biblical Sunday morning participation, and if today happens to whet your appetite for more, it's like, hey, I got more questions, than you answered, I got good news for you. Check out the B45 class coming up after prayer. It's going to be in about nine weeks, and it's going to be on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. This is just an introductory pop in the water. We got our just floating, and I'm waiting for you to strike on it, for those of you that fish, and we want to drag you into the B45 in nine weeks. Well, before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we got a tough topic and a tough set of texts. Please help me, Lord. These kind of things are like talking about prayer and evangelism. They just grab us with guilt. And yet, Lord, your word is meant to be an element and an instrument of grace. Lord, guilt's good. If there's things we need to grow in, we want to please you. Oh, Lord, let us feel that tug. But, Lord, let us know. You ask us, you command us to do these things. Because we've already earned your favor. This is not in order to get your favor. Right standing with God comes through faith, not through works. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember last week we asked the question, this is part two of a two-part series. We asked the question last week, what's my ministry? And if I could sum up the entire 40, 45 minutes of preaching, I could sum it up with a single statement. What's my ministry? Glorify God by making disciples, glorify God by making disciples at great personal sacrifice. Ouch. But that's our ministry. That's my ministry, not because I'm a pastor, it's because I'm a Christian. My ministry is to glorify God by making disciples at great personal sacrifice. Now today we're asking, what's my ministry? Whoop! Back up one. What's my ministry this morning? What's my ministry this morning? And we're going to examine. Now you can pop it up, David. Good job, man. Thanks. We're going to examine three persons. They're not mythical. Three persons that we minister to. Now, if you notice, it's persons, persons, not places. Though we do it at this location, it's not about a place. It's persons, not job descriptions. And job descriptions for our personal enrichment and fulfillment. Although ministry can certainly do that. But it's also not folks or persons far away. Though that's legitimate. We're not thinking about whoever's not here. It's not illegitimate. But that's not what today is about. Our ministry on Sunday morning is primarily, not exclusively, our ministry on Sunday morning is primarily about ministering to persons in this room. What's my ministry on Sunday morning? Ministering to one divine and a lot of human persons in this room. Because he's here and we're here. And this is where we do ministry. So we got three topics. It's the only slide that's going up. Ministry to God. That's the divine person. Ministry to Palm Vista, everybody in this room that's normally here, and ministry to our guests, both unbelieving guests, non-Christians, and believing guests, Christians. But wait, Jim, don't we come here to worship God? I mean, hello? Glad you asked. What exactly is worship? What is worship? Worship, okay, this part's going to be maybe for some, maybe not, but for a couple of us, Maybe a little bit of a mind bender. Okay, this, you, we got to get our graphs around this. Worship is not about a special day at a special place. When we say worship, we're not talking about a special day, a special activity at a special place. No, no. It's what we do every moment we're alive. Listen to God's word. Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, here's worship, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 24-7, no days off. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you're a Christian, you've been redeemed. You are now holy. You've been made holy. You are acceptable to God because of what Christ has done on the cross. And now you take not just your spirit, man, or your soul. No, every bit of you, you're a composite being. But your body, and you present it to God, and that's your service of worship. What do I do today? It's what you do every day. Worship is our life. It's like glorifying God. Everything we do, every day, everywhere. Now let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. But before you hit 12, go back to 6. Scroll back or flip back a few chapters. Now we're going to have to put our thinking caps on because this is a lot of data. Okay? And it may mess. It may be some new concepts. It may mess with what you think Sunday morning is supposed to be about. (laughs) I love it. Okay, you ready? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. I'm reading out of the ESV. Now, remember, this is going to be, this is recorded, so you can listen to it again. Just like last week's family meeting at the night was recorded, that's on the web. You can listen to that again. Our sermons are on the web. You can listen to those again. 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God. There's that echo of Romans. Glorify God in your body. Scroll or flip forward to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Last verse, verse 31. We looked at this last week. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, welcome to worship, do all, all to the glory of God. Great, that's big picture worship. Then what do we do about Sunday morning, quote unquote, worship worship? service. That's a legitimate title, not my favorite title, but, but it's okay. What do we do with a Sunday morning worship service? Well, we begin by gathering Christians together. Unbelievers, 1 Corinthians 14, are expected to be there. If we're doing our job, people who do not know Christ, who are not following Christ, who are just checking out something, they are to be here and we're to invite them. There's an expectation in the New Testament that when we have a public gathering of believers. That unbelievers will be present, but the gathering is of believers. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 11, just right here. Verse 17. I told you, we're going to be moving forward, moving forward. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you, he's speaking to the church at Corinth, plural, when y'all, if you're from the deep south, when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, pause, there's the coming together. Now, Paul's about to tell him some stuff, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But the, the thing here is, it's legitimate for us to come together. Why do we meet? Why is the Sabbath not on Saturday like it is for the old covenant? Because the because God led the church, the apostolic witness, to move it to Sunday. It's now new covenant, new day, the Lord's day. It's the day he resurrected. Every Sunday, we're celebrating Easter in many. Do you realize that? That's what we mean on Sunday. Because that's when he resurrected. So we meet on Sunday for that reason. Now, we're allowed to come together as a church. We all agree there. From this point forward, it gets a little more complicated as what exactly we are supposed to do. That's why many very good churches, many good churches on Sunday do things differently. You ever notice that? You can go to a great church, loves Jesus, preaches the gospel. Their Sunday morning gathering looks different than here. Why? Because we have no detailed documentation of an entire first century Christian public meeting. We don't have a detailed documentation about what that looked like. And we have another dilemma. There's not always a clear way to use the Old Testament as our model. Let me just give you one example. Should you have a choir or choirs legit? It's a big question for some folks. Well, it's not the easiest answer. It would seem like no or yes, but see, what you're having to deal with is, well, what do we do with choirs when we no longer have a temple in Jerusalem or a choir composed of Levitical priests? singing the psalms. Now there's answers to that, but there's a little more scooch room there. And then here it gets more complicated. There's no simple one-to-one word. There's no word in Hebrew that means the same as the word in English, worship. It's a cornucopia of words. It's translated by one. And the same in Greek. There's no single one-for-word correlation for the word worship. The New Testament, nowhere, provides us this snapshot of a single worship service. It doesn't. Closest we get is Romans 12 through 14, and it doesn't even say preaching. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. But it does provide. It provides by commands. It provides by principles. And it provides by examples all the elements necessary to worship God together as a gathered church. Now, we don't have time to do more than just mention them. But here, I'll throw them all out. You ready to hear them? And, and I hope you feel most of them here. And by the way, Paul doesn't command, God doesn't command, nor in the New Testament is a command, that they all occur at the same time, all in one place, every time. Singing, with or without instruments. Corporate prayer. Reading and preaching Scripture. Receiving financial gifts, exercising spiritual gifts, publicly confessing our faith, having baptism, having the Lord's Supper, greeting one another, which in Latin culture is really sweet because you actually, if you're you're in the culture I just came from, greeting one another is biblically, so to speak, and again, it just means like with a hearty handshake or something, it's white people greet like this. Here you just kiss everybody. Except I'm never kissing you, Sergio. So, okay. (laughs) If we're looking at going Southern Baptist, you're going to have to get used to this other one, which, by the way, is in Scripture, saying, amen. We'll get to that later. Having a benediction. Those are all elements of a Christian worship service. Now, I trust you notice that the only two on that list are spectator sports. There's only two. Listening to a sermon and receiving a benediction. Everything else is participation. And by the way, it could be argued that listening to a sermon is not intended to be a spectator sport, but it's an active event. Your heart and your mind and God. So back to our title. What's ministry this morning? Ministry to God, point one. We gather this morning to worship and glorify God together. And we do that in reverential awe, synonym, fear of the Lord, with gratitude, why? For all that he's done for us in Christ. And then given the fact that we're not going to hell and our sins are forgiven and we're going to heaven and we know Jesus and he lives with us with great joy, duh! And we do that in the various ways we've just mentioned, ones that the scriptures have laid out for us by command, principle, and an example but our texts today first corinthians these texts 12 through 14 in particular are the most detailed treatment of what corporate worship looks like in a local church setting now before we go there everybody knows that their first corinthians 12 is about spiritual gifts first corinthians 13 is something about love and first corinthians 14 is something about why you shouldn't speak in tongues in this particular way okay great You know, it's funny. Um, Do you know that this text's main concern is not about identifying your spiritual gifts? That's typically what we hear used about. That's not the main concern. By the way, it was not written with a wedding candle in mind. 1 Corinthians 13. That's legit, but that's not why. Nor was it to encourage a congregation to just get lost in worship and focus on some incredible individual experience with God. That's not why this was written. No, the Corinthians were mistreating one another in a variety of ways, in a variety of settings, and in so doing, they were being a terrible witness to their community and a serious stumbling block to unbelievers who were coming to their public meetings. That's what this text is about. Paul systematically shows them that the way... Ooh, okay, here's the headbender. Sunday, this ain't them. This is everybody for all time. It's Scripture. It's us. Paul systematically showed them that the way they acted towards one another in their Sunday morning service, as well as in all of life, was either a chain of shame or a chain of honor that went from the person and systematically all the way to God. In other words, how they treated each other was how they were treating God. In chapter 10, we won't turn there right yet. In chapter 10, he tells them to stop violating the consciences of the weaker Christians by coercing them to go into idol temples that they used to worship at in order to enjoy this temple-sponsored meat meal. Eating and drinking was a reference to public ritual eating and drinking at an idol temple or to private eating drinking of items that had been sacrificed to idols and were now sold in the market. What was going on was the more mature Christians, oh, they had their theology right. They did. But they were using it in a way that tempted the weaker Christians to violate their conscience or even to fall back into their sinful old habits. The stronger Christian's strength, remember how you treat others is how you treat Christ? The stronger Christian's strength was tearing down what little baby faith the weaker believers had. And that kind of attitude brought no glory to God now look at 1 Corinthians 10:31. Check down at your text. With all that background in mind, now let's look at that text. So whether you eat or drink, da da, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So Paul moves on from public idol worship to public Christian worship. That's where he starts to begin. See, they were messing up. They were messing up their public meetings with selfishness and innovation. Many had their favorite preachers. Oh, I'm of Paul. That's chapter one. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Christ. I'm of Peter. They had their favorite preachers, and they were slamming the other preachers because they didn't have the same speaking ability. They thought Apollos rocked and they thought Paul stunk. Why? Because Paul wasn't as good of an orator. He wasn't as entertaining. Then, men and women in their public services, they flaunted cultural norms and, more importantly, they flaunted God's plan and creation by self consciously blurring the differences between the genders. And they did that under the banner of Christian freedom. And Paul pointed out that when you fail to do that, you're dishonoring one another and you're dishonoring your ultimate spiritual head, God. Oh, it was talking about a cultural distinction about covering or not covering your head in worship. But their problem was they were doing stuff that even the culture was going, huh? Huh? And they were treating each other and saying, hey, we can do what we want because we're believers now. And Paul says, I don't think so. As you're dishonoring this person and you're dishonoring that person, don't you realize there's a a a chain? You're either shaming or honoring. And the ultimate head is Christ and his head is God. The point was to point out that what we do to each other, how we treat each other, is how we're treating God. So Paul helped his friends glorify God and honor one another by insisting that they ditch this innovation stuff and they practice and maintain the God-given gender distinctions during public worship. That's in chapter 11. Let's look at 11.22. Here's their next problem. 11.22. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Talking about communion. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Instead of remembering and recognizing the nature of the Lord's Supper, God's gracious redemption and his adoption, their version of the Lord's Supper highlighted wealth and power. It drew social and economic lines that should not ever anywhere, particularly on Sunday morning, exist among Christians. The slaves would have to come in late whenever they finally got done with what they had to do and the rich people were eating and drinking and some of them were getting drunk on that Welch's grape juice and they were just having a rough time. And they would have a big meal and then the other people would come in and kind of get secondary and Paul said, that's not the Lord's Supper. Dishonoring one another, treating one another like that. (laughs) And here's what's scary. Think of this next time you walk through those doors. Those who were disregarding and dishonoring other believers risked being punished by God. He said, that's why many are sick and some have died. See, behavior which humiliates and marginalizes members of the church can result in painful discipline. He only disciplines those who are his. But it can result in discipline. And that's why Paul says, judge yourselves before you're judged. Don't, are, are, you, are you humiliating? Are you marginalizing anybody in this room? God takes his honor, that chain, very seriously. Remember, we learned last week, hallowed be thy name. What's the point, Jim? Well, how we act on Sunday towards one another reveals how we view God's purpose. How we act reveals how we, re- how we view God's plan. We may be ignorant of that. No problem. That's what this is about. How we act towards one another shows whether or not we submit to his rule and his reign, his commandments, his kingdoms, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, honor one another, don't marginalize, yada, yada. that's what your ministry to God looks like this morning. How we treat one another is how we treat God. We're his children. We're in union with Christ. Remember Acts 9, 4, where Jesus said, Saul's going to persecute the church. He's heading to Damascus. And he says, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul became Paul and never forgot that. Dishonor one another, ignore one another, angry at one another, tear down one another with words and deeds. Careful, ministry to God, ultimately. Or, how about some good news? Love one another, serve one another, build up one another with words and deeds. Your ministry to God. Let's not dishonor God by dishonoring one another. Instead, let's glorify Him together it's not the only way we do that but the way in 12 through 14 of first corinthians we do that is by our point two ministry to palm vista why not just all of us come together and have some sort of an individual intellectual and mystical experience of god while we're all together in the same room let's just all put on our headphones And we're all together, we're the gathered church, but you listen to Piper, I'll listen to Sproul, you listen to MacArthur, whoever you like, and then you listen to some indie Christian rock kind of thing, and you listen to some kind of hymn thing, and you listen to the Westminster Brow, and we'll just all kind of like tune out, tune in, and, and we're all together, it's a church, right? Yeah. I mean, after all, as long as we're not doing harm to one another... What's the big deal about being alone together? Well, the big deal is summed up in a single word, love. Now look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Paul is dropped down into Sunday morning. 14, verse 1. By the way, this is a command inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Pursue love. Other translations, follow after love. Or another translation, follow the way of love. This is a command. Check this out. In a corporate setting, it's a command about what do you do today in this room, in that hallway, and out in the breezeway. It's a command. Love, by the way. If you ever, now, love can happen inside ourselves. That's called self-love. Okay? But this kind of love, we don't have to be commanded to follow that, do we? I do that on autopilot. I can love me. And you should love me too. But love, this kind of love, happens outside ourselves. And in this room and in that hallway, and in the breezeway. Love and worship happen 24-7, but we're talking about Sunday morning. We're to reflect, check this out, we're to reflect the love of God to one another. And the way that is done is through the word you see in your Bibles, edification, or another way it's put, building up one another. It's the uh, What does that mean? I'll give you the opposite, it's easier to grasp. It's the opposite of self love and tearing down one another. Look at verse 12 in chapter 14. So, with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, Lord, use me. Holy Spirit, work through me. Good, here we go. Strive to excel in building up the church. Look down at verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together? There's the church, the service right now here in this room. Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, here's the point. Let all things be done for building up. Some translations would say edification. And edification is what occurs in corporate singing, corporate confession, public prayer, the ministry of the word, exercising spiritual gifts, edification occurs because it reflects God's grace. It reflects God's love. It edifies, it builds up people. It instructs, welcome to discipleship, it instructs and encourages them in the faith. It glorifies God to love, to edify, to build up in this room, in that hall, out in the breezeway. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday glorifies God and it makes disciples because God uses you and me to point others to God. God gives us abilities and gifts, but why does he do that? In order to serve and comfort and build up others, not ourselves. That was the kind of spiritual pride that was the Corinthian problem. They were selfish in their public gatherings instead of being selfless. They came either, there's one set of them that came to just do nothing. I'm, I'm a foot. I don't have anything. I'm out of here. The rest of them were, I'm an eye. I'm a hand. I'm the brain. I'm everything. No, no. They came to show off their spiritual knowledge and their spiritual gifts. Some came just to be entertained by the preacher. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. no. Some came just to be served. But chapter 13 tells us that all those kind of people equate to nothing. Actually, Paul says, they're nothing. And they gain nothing. Look at chapter 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good Christians receive gifts and ministry assignments to serve God, to bring Him glory by bringing to His... Ga- this is, these verses are for gathered meetings, public meetings. They're for Sunday morning. By bringing to His gathered people His grace and love, we're to manifest His love. We're to manifest His goodness and His power in ways that produce tangible effects in people. They're to be built up. They're to benefit from the Holy Spirit's activity in and through us, his people. Look at chapter 14, verse 12. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, oh, Holy Spirit, come do something. Right, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. We must be careful not to overly compartmentalize and strictly categorize gifts and fruits and functions and ministries and offices. There are multiple words in addition to gift used in the original language of the New Testament. And the ones in 1 Corinthians, these gifts, it's not the gifts. No, it's simply examples and descriptions. Remember, Paul is correcting Corinthian craziness. He's addressing unbiblical cultural assumptions that have been absorbed into the church. This section is critical, yes, but it's critical for assessing our motives. It's not in order to discover our spiritual gifts. It's not primarily to discover our personal, specific, lifelong ministry assignment. It's not about finding my gift. It's about addressing my heart. It's about building others up. Sorry, I'm getting soft. I'll stop. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. I've been asked to keep shouting, don't get soft because you can't hear, so I'll just shout at you the whole time. What then? Okay, what then, brothers? And Gabby's ready to kill me because I'm not taking a breath and she's trying to translate all this at this speed. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. That's not the point. Here's the point. Let all things be done for building up. But check this out. Paul allows for spontaneity. That's why we've got a ministry, Mike. But But he does not make it a requirement. Nor does he make spontaneity more spiritual than something planned. Check out his example. Some are spontaneous, others can be planned ahead of time. But the thing that's certain, that's rock solid, everyone, in some way, is to to participate. They're to encourage one another, to follow Jesus, to live a life that glorifies God. Last week, make disciples. Everyone is to remember what God has done for us in the gospel. We're all to stir each other up to love and good works. We're to encourage each other as we see that final day approaching. And how do we do that? The Great Commission, the Word of God. We're to call people and to remind people of his great love for his family. That's what ministry looks like Sundays at Palm Vista. And last but not least, but it gets the shortest amount of time because it gets the shortest amount of time in the text. Our ministry to guests. It can be boiled down to two words. You ready? Don't distract. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We're going to read all the way to 33 this time on purpose. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, remember he's moving now to Sunday mornings, but he's covering all of life. Do all to the glory of God. Here's the don't distract. Give no offense. And he names the three major people groups of the day. First he starts with the pagans, Jews or Greeks. And then he talks to the brothers sitting in the church, brothers and sisters that he's addressing. Or the Church of God, and then Paul uses it himself as an example. Just as I just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. See, we're uh, we're to reign in our freedom. Anything and everything that gets in the way of the gospel or gets in the way of gospel good. Distractions, obstacles to our witness. If we're known for our sin or our weird worship behavior, that's what the Corinthians, the two things the Corinthians are known for. If we're known primarily for our cultural preferences and choices, clicks, gossip, angry looks on Sunday, whining and complaining, the Corinthians were doing that. They were acting like the world, and sometimes they were acting worse than the world in church, in front of unbelievers who were going... We need to honor God ourselves, and we need to honor God in front of our guests. We should not enter His presence In a trifling and flippant manner. Oh, a joyful non library atmosphere with casual dress? Cool, let's keep it up. But let's not become a gathering that looks more like a concert or sporting event or a coffee shop. It's church. We have to be careful with social media, different distractions, just hanging out, casual coming and going, centered on ourselves or even our kids or our grandkids. God is present, and we have ministry to do. Oh, our meeting should be casual and family and friend-oriented, but it should still look and feel different, not necessarily outwardly, but coming from our hearts. Because God's present. We got stuff to do. What's my ministry? Oh, last week? Glorify God by making disciples a great personal sacrifice. What's my ministry this Sunday? Worship, glorify, and serve God by self-consciously serving others. we got to come ready. Are you like Corey and I, particularly when we had kids? Now this doesn't happen. We don't fight on the way into church on Sunday. Because we drive two cars and come at two different times. <laughs> don't you love the quick prayer of confession? I'm sorry, honey, I'm so sorry. The kids are going, yeah, you should be. And then you walk in the door. Please uh, don't let us take communion Lord. I'll drop dead, Okay. Do we come ready to do good to the person beside us? Do spiritual good. We glorify, worship, and serve God by self-consciously serving others. Do spiritual good to the people in this room, in that hallway, in the breezeway. Do it before the singing. Do it after the benediction. Come early and do spiritual good. Come, stay late, and do spiritual good. What's our ministry this Sunday? That. Oh, have fun, be stupid. You know, I I get all that. But don't just have fun and be stupid. Make disciples. Glorify God. This isn't a concert. This isn't a coffee house. It's the gathering of God's church. Let's pray. Lord, in John 13, you gave us a new commandment. That we were to love one another just as you loved us. And Lord, you said by us fulfilling that commandment, all people will know that we're your disciples. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, help us to worship in all of life. Lord, help us here. Because Lord, here is where you gather us together to prepare us to face life. we have private devotions we have private experiences and they're all good and necessary lord you've commanded us to gather you've told us don't neglect this but when you're here encourage one another because there's a day approaching a day of judgment when works done within the body will be judged and they're judged for reward because we're believers Lord, we're supposed to have a service in such a way. Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 14, where people in the room that are not Christians respond. Why are you praising God like that? They're convicted and they say God is among you. And Lord, it appears from the book Gospel of John that a real way that occurs is by them seeing the difference. This isn't a concert It's not a coffee house. It's church. Lord, help us. We're at different places. Lord, help us. Lord, let us not wait till the kids get grown and out of college. Let us not wait till we grow. up. Lord, whatever it looks like for us, how do we love people and point them to you? Because that's the most loving thing we can do. Let us honor you.